This is the podcast of the California Institute of Integral Studies, where we bring you conversations and lectures from our public program series, featuring world-renowned scholars, leaders, authors, artists, and thinkers. To make sure you never miss an episode of the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, find us and subscribe on iTunes or on our website at ciis.edu slash podcast. much for being here and thank you especially to Shaman Durek who um, has been a major influence on my um, spiritual seeking path as I've explored meditation and the concept of creating our own reality and um, many of the things that you teach over the past couple of years. Um, I had a chance to read the book. I hope some of you have and if not, I highly recommend it. Um, and I thought I'd start by just talking about you make a differentiation that um, shamanism is a lifestyle, not a religion. And I'm wondering if you can elaborate on that a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So shamanism is a way to observe life, to observe creation and what creation has created. So in shamanism, the understanding is to preserve life. And in order to preserve life, you have to observe life. And a lot of times what happens is um, when people think about shamanism, they always try to put it into that religious category. But religion is based on doctrination that follows rules that allow you to grow within that space spiritually as long as you follow those rules and adhere to those rules that allows you to either be someone who's going to go somewhere or something's going to happen for you if you follow these rules. Whereas in shamanism, it's about the exploration of being a child and never leaving that space space. So that way, when you are a childlike self, you're able to look upon life with a much more open perspective. So you can hear other people's points of views without going like, nah, that's not that, you know, you'll be like, oh, that's interesting. Let me look at that too. And let me look at that. And it's kind of like you're in this beautiful playing field of consciousness. And then you utilize that information to see how you can actually create a way for human beings to, one, co-adapt with one another in a very um, cohesive way, um, be able to help people understand about sustaining life, not just from the idea of sustaining our resources, but we have to sustain human beings, right? Because mm -hmm. the resources won't mean anything, you know, just be left to the animals and the insects, right? So um, being able to sustain life, which is also comes from self-preservation, self-preservation of culture, um, how people choose to observe God or creation or source, and being able to understand the cornerstones of society. So women being the major cornerstone of society, because in shamanism, we, we observe women as being quantum leaders in their perspective of life life. So that way they are able to see all the possible dangers before they happen because they haven't overdeveloped the amygdala. We see them, we see it in animals in nature. The animals that survive the most are the female animals because they sense danger before it even happens. So when we look at anthropology, we look at sociology, we look at the definition of how human beings are adapting on planet earth and are they thriving or are they in discord? And so shamanism is the key um, understanding of honoring that observation, but then also using that wisdom of that observation to create real change that is long lasting, not just, you know, instant, like, you know, what people would say, like, for two years, but we're talking longevity, right? Longevity of life sustained. So that's um, the core energy of shamanism. And then, of course, you can add 
you know, the dancing and the drumming and the ceremonies and all that is a celebration of life, celebration of, of, of birth, celebration of the trees, of the nature, of the, of the air, of the sun, of the moon, celebration of ourselves, celebration of, of people going on to the other side. So when you see, when a lot of times when people see shamanism, they will turn it into, they'll try to demonize it and say like, oh, you're doing black magic or you're doing something that's, um, you know, against uh, what they see that fits in that box of religion, which is you're doing something. But they don't understand that even in religion, and this is a funny context, that Moses, Moshe, right, was a shaman who was trained by Jethro of the Midian tribe. The Midian tribe are elder tribal men who, who take care of sheep in, in nature who are shamans, and they have the ability to see on energetic frequencies, pathways, and all these different things. So it, so it's, it's funny, there's a lot of teachings that are lost because people get so caught up in wanting to say this is right and this is wrong instead of really sit down and go like, what is shamanism and, and, what, how does, and how has it helped us? A lot of our, you know, our allopathic medicine has come from shamans. Um, you know, uh, alchemy has come from shamans. You know, the way that we um, observe life in general, the knowledge of trees, plants, animals, the, the way that animals conduct themselves, all of these ancient wisdoms are already ingrained in all of our DNA and our RNA, and yet we we continue to use our, we continue to give more power to technology as being the, the thing that we all accept. And then everyone else is just basically going like, oh, I'm skeptic of this, but you're not skeptic of the 5G and you're not skeptic of these things. So shamanism is about um, really bringing about a cohesive understanding of our world environment and how do we get the most of being a human being. Thank you. And, um, how, what is is it a shamanic perspective on God or your perspective on God that's shared in the book? And um, what is that? Right. It's a shamanic perspective because so in shamanism, we look at energy and we look at knowledge and technology, which is also knowledge based upon is it serving the greater good of people? So in shamanism, we understand that if you create an idea of a creator that created you and this is just based on like how your, your, your brain and how you operate in the consensus of the way in which you perceive the world. If you create an idea that your creator is like Santa Claus, okay? So if you do really, really good, you get all these amazing gifts and you know, everything works out for you. It's just so amazing. And then if you don't, like a house will drop on you and like you get like a lump of coal and like all these horrible things happen to you. So when you come to this world as a child, you're a child and you're just like, Wow, look at all of this. And then your parents start creating these structures based upon information that they haven't even really did their due diligence on. They just following whatever their parents told them, whatever their parents told them, whatever their parents told them, which half of that information isn't even qualified in the field of love consciousness. So the idea of if you don't do this, you don't get love or you get spanked and get in trouble. But remember, all understanding of what is right and wrong are based on subjective ideas and values held within each family structure. So so in, so the way we in shamanism, the way we look at it is that if you have a belief system that says that your creator could destroy you, you create a subconscious matching code frequency that runs through your synapses unconsciously. And this is the this is the, where we get into the mirror, the conundrums of what's happening on our planet when it comes to war and the way that we degrade ourselves. It's the understanding that if you create this subconscious, you know, code that 
your creator will destroy you, then you will naturally, by selection, unconsciously start destroying yourself, destroying your resources, and destroying your own habitat. And it's a natural function. So in shamanism, our whole thing is to see creation as pure love. And it doesn't play in the field of our duality. It doesn't play in quantum entanglement. It doesn't play in this idea of right versus wrong. It just creates as we speak and as we think. And so we look at the understanding that we are the code. We are the script writers. We are the code. We were writing code and creation is like, okay, right? And so, but again, with that comes so much power and responsibility that as our species has not been able to adapt because women have been misplaced and elderly women have been misplaced in society, that we've only been generating a, a consciousness towards young women and, and, and elderly women are pushed out. So the wisdom that that quantum elders have is not put into the fold. So the masculine projection, which is always you versus me versus we, mm -hmm. is disconnecting us from the reality of how our brain subconsciously connects to the outer world with our prefrontal lobe and the way in which we perceive life. And so this is why in shamanism we see everything from a state of love. And if it's not in love, then we just kind of dismiss it. Love that. Um, okay, and how is a shaman different than a doctor? Okay, so if we look at uh, our world system, and we understand that in the allopathic world system, everything is based on several factors. It's based on symptoms mm -hmm. and how, and so what they do is they compartmentalize those symptoms and begin to look at them from a place of a threat. Again, again, the whole you versus me mentality. The feminine aspect is not held within the allopathic structure. In shamanism, we have to balance both masculine and feminine so that we can see both sides. So we understand that there is an inner and outer course that's taking place. And not just that, but in shamanism, when we look at something, we don't just look at it as, oh, this person has so much inflammation in their body that caused them to have cells that morph, that turned into tumors, that turned into cancer and so forth, or whatever it may be. Uh, it could be a multiple of different things that are maybe occurring to them. It is based on the understanding that each individual is also going through different types of, um, you know, uh, aggressive markers, such as, you know, every time you go sit down with a friend and they're talking about negative things, right? And you don't say, you know what, let's focus on something more positive, more beautiful and more inspiring and awe-inspiring. You are actually giving credence to what they're saying and you're pulling that empathically into your body. Too many negative, aggressive markers creates inflammation. That inflammation doesn't have anywhere to go. Eventually, your cells, your body, your entire immune system begins to break down. Your cells begin to break down. Your tissue begins to heat up. So there's all these different factors. So in shamanism, we don't just look at oh, this person has a genetic marking. We look at, okay, yeah, there may be a genetic marking in that person, but it wasn't activated until this thing happened, until this thing happened, until this thing happened, to the food they were eating, to the chemicals they were putting in their body, to the major arguments they've been exposed to. It could be a multitude of things. And so um, in allopathic, what they do is there's, there's two things that, um, that they do. With one, they see the situation, they diagnose it using long-range testing, which is actually not the greatest thing because they're utilizing their knowledge and their um, information from test studies that they've done on people who aren't in the general populace, right? They're doing it on people who are signing up for these tests and then making these um, ideas about what it is, which is why shamans have a lot of respect for functional medicine doctors because they're using a different way of testing and they're using 
using a different way of understanding that there's a root that caused these um, illnesses and these symptoms to occur. Shamans think of the same thing. So what, what's happened also too is that you have a conglomerate um, a system that's built within our medical world that is only about pushing certain medicines and certain chemicals that need to be distributed about a certain amount of time to get off the shelf. So when a doctor takes your blood, they know what types of things not to give you, but they don't adhere to that because what's paying their bills is these pharmaceutical companies. So these pharmaceutical companies are saying, we need to get rid of this off the shelf, okay? Like, you're, you know, like when you go to a, a mall and they have to get a certain amount of product off the shelf, it's the right. same thing. So that's clouding the allopathic world because what's happening is I get a lot of doctors who will come to me and cry and scream and go through all this emotional stuff because they said, I got in this because I wanted to heal people because I lost my mom and I wanted to make a change. I wanted to make a difference. But now every time I see something, I have to follow the rules of wherever, what am I, what am I you know, a part of. And that's... That means that they're giving you medicine that they shouldn't give you, but they have to because they have to get it off the shelf. And so we're not utilizing all of our resources. And in shamanism, we have this, this whole idea about if someone is sick, okay, we want to get them back to homeostasis. But in order to get them back to homeostasis, we also need to create an, an education in the process of that homeostasis. So it's not just, oh, let me get you better by cutting something out and ripping it out and giving you medicine and stuffing it and, get, okay, you're good, you're good, and then we'll see you in another six months when your liver gives out from the medicine we just gave you. It is how do you get educated to become a person who is living in a way that is nurturing, honoring, and being able to understand what's going on with you. A lot of times people will get sick and they don't know what's going on with them. You know, um, one of the things, um, there's this uh, amazing, uh, uh, family, the uh, the I think they're called the Adoni family, and they were you know their kid got sick and like all the kids were getting sick and they were like you know what we're gonna go in the libraries and we're gonna start looking and seeing like what's going on with our son, and it's the education aspect that's being left out, and not only that but doctors are only getting one day and not even that I think it's like two hours one of my doctor friends said of nutrition. Okay? Oh, that is true. That's a little scary when it comes to understanding our bodies and our biological systems, because we're not just dealing with our biological system, we're dealing with pathology, we're dealing with kinesiology, we're dealing with all of these different things that are where we're constantly being uh, um, agitated by. And so when we're not educating the person to sustain health, but we're just going in and getting fixed up and going back out, right. we're not having that education. And so therefore we just go back into that model and go and do it again. And so shamanism is about, um, utilizing all resources on the planet. And I think that's the key for us to truly change the medical world. And I think shamanism, I think creating a container between shamans, you know, neuroscientists, acupuncturists, uh, you know, uh, doctors, and bringing a, together a, a collaboration where each person owns their space and doesn't try to cross over into someone else's line, like stay their lane, but they have a conversation about how can we utilize all resources that are available on this planet so that we can bring health and wellness to a whole new level. Let's hope that that happens. That's not hope. It will <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> like, it's all about it the language, happen. right? It will. <laughs> I'm happen. looking forward to that happening. Yeah. There we go. Okay. I'm so excited <laughs> when that happened. That. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And you're a spirit shaman, and can yes. you explain the differentiation between different types of shamans? Yeah. So 
a lot of times people think that a shaman is just someone who goes, a lot of people don't even realize that shamans exist in all cultures, right? So like, for instance, like um, in Norway, in the Nordic culture, you have the Sami people, you know, you have um, Indonesia, you have Filipino, you have shamans in that culture, you have Peruvian shamans, Mexican shamans, you have shamans that exist in African culture as well as Indonesian culture. I mean, they're everywhere, right? It's a part of the system, right? So, and there's a different shamans that do different things. So there's shamans that extract certain things from animals mm -hmm. and they'll use those, you know, toxins to um, to create certain aggravations within the body that the body gets aggravated and then certain things are released and then people go through different experiences such as like ayahuasca or iboga or, you know, morning glory. I mean, there's a list. I can go down a whole list. Peyote, you know. And then there's uh, shamans who only do stuff with water like in Indonesia. When you go to Bali, there's shamans who will take water. They have a certain ability to bless the water in a certain way so that when they dump it on you it affects your body because your body's made of water and then literally you go through these intense shaman experience and then there are shamans who also work with just plants and roots and so forth and then there's spirit shamans and spirit shamans we don't uh, put things in our body right so i'm a purist and people go what is a purist i don't drink i don't smoke i don't put things in my body that don't belong in my body Okay. The reason why is because my vessel has to be clean so that I'm able to pick up on the most subtle frequency of energy because our training is about understanding the spiritual world, the energy planes, how communication is operating, how human beings are fluctuating in their synapses, how their relays are operating, how their sensorium is operating, what type of information is coming at them all the time, what types of spirits are communicating and to their consciousness because most people think that their brain is just theirs and they think their thoughts belong to them which they do not and their brain is a conductor and it conducts all types of frequencies mm -hmm. and so we need to be able to be aware of those different frequencies to see where there's patterns that are discordant patterns that are creating um, certain kinds of, um, of what we call discordant resonance in their body that is attracting impulses for them to drink or smoke or do drugs or to date someone who's abusive or to make choices where they get into a job that they really don't like but they keep putting up with it, which causes major anxiety, raises their cortisol, increases the weight, the, the dumping of their adrenals, and causes serotoxins to build up in their body. Mm -hmm. So when we look at these factors, it's important. And so to do that in spirit shamanism, you spend a lot of time in tuning in to these frequencies. And then literally you ride the frequency and learn from it. So it's it's really beautiful. So like instead of like when you're a kid and there's like a scary monster in your closet or under your bed, instead of being afraid of it, in spirit shamanism, you actually confront it and you sit with it without judgment because judgment, and we say in African shamanism, it blinds you, right? So when you judge, you're blinded. Mm -hmm. So what we believe is being data open Right, So that means anyone can say anything to me and I ride the intelligence of that frequency and then see if that frequency has some type of information that's supportive to the people or to the things that I'm doing in the world that actually create for us to be able to co-adapt and to thrive as human beings with a beautiful um, ecosystem. Thank you. I have a question. My meditation teacher says that we it's a, a Harvard, there was a Harvard study done 20 years ago that shows we all have 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day. That's a thought every one to three seconds. How many of those would you say are our own thoughts versus 
spirit thoughts if we're not a spirit well if i would put that in i mean that's a very interesting calculation <laughs> i'm not asking you <laughs> i'm to not do a mathematician i'm not just very like big a half or zero or well let me put it to you like this you're a multi-dimensional being yeah okay you are only available to the information that you accept as a part of what you believe. So your belief system, right? Think of your think of like when you have a cell phone and you have filters, okay? A lot of human beings live the earth with filters because they haven't stepped into the unknown, right? Mm -hmm. So the unknown is where your power source is. It's the ability for you to go into all these different nebulous uh, tendrils of, of information that your brain is actually picking up on. So I always say that anything negative that you hear in your head is not yours. It's coming from somewhere else, but because we weren't given emotional intelligence in school and our training in school, and we weren't given the ability to understand how our brain actually operates, we we basically give credence to those thoughts as our own. The moment we claim them, we then begin to change the synapsis frequency to fire off that electrode at the same tempo that actually keeps those thoughts running through us, okay? In shamanism, we believe in disrupting those thoughts, and you disrupt them by actually confronting them. And the whole purpose of meditation is to get you to a place where you can learn how to use your mind as a tool that supports you, not just to check out because you want to hear the sounds of brooks and streams and like, you know, birds chirping and all that. I mean, that's all nice and all. However, and in, in, when I train students, I take them to the most noisiest rock concerts. I mean, well, you know, you're in the Metallica, you know, just like, you know, just like really intense stuff and then have them meditate in that environment and hold in that space. And what it does is it allows them to build spiritual immunity. And that spiritual immunity then allows them to understand that if a voice comes in and says, oh, you're ugly, instead of them just letting it go, they stop and go, why would you say something like that to me? Mm. Who are you? What do you, why would you say that? Do you think that you think I'm gonna believe you on that? Mm -hmm. what, what, what are your facts on it? What's your this? And then all of a sudden you begin a new journey into consciousness and you realize that because you're willing to confront that voice, which most people are afraid of confrontation to begin with, which we, we are now overthrowing on the planet because now you're nothing but confrontation, so you're just gonna have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right? So you're building up that immunity already, what's happening on the planet. So there's no, I don't care where you are in the world, you're dealing with some stuff, right? So the reality is you're actually confronting that on your own accord, which gives you empowerment. It also teaches your brain that this is a conductor. So you actually begin to realize that you can navigate those thoughts and realize that if they're spirits or did you pick it up from your, a friend of yours that you were hanging out with? Like I have friends who will come to me and be like, God, I can't get these negative thoughts out of my head. I'm like, well, okay, that's because you've been surrounding yourself with people who've been holding those negative thoughts and you're an empath and you're also affected because your your conductor is picking up on all that so a lot of times when people look at life they're looking at life like this and i'm going to use i'm going to use the understanding of women versus men okay so women and men are very important to the system but women um, have been getting a bad rap because they haven't been given the full capacity to use their powers in the way that they're supposed to in to be able to help us to, to move on and to survive on this planet. So when women walk into a room, I'll give you exactly how women think. They walk into a room and they cast a net of intelligence. And that net picks up on where the exits are, the possible dangers, what's going on, what type of people are there. All these things happen in such a short amount of time. And then it feeds, it, gets, it does what it calls a feedback. They get all this information given to them. 
And then they go, oh, okay, so I see this, 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 this. When a man walks into a room, because a man operates in the idea of task and orientation, he's walking in thinking what he's doing. So he's going in, he's not looking at the finer things on the wall, and he's not looking, okay, if, my, if someone went over there, they could fall out of that window, and like, you know, <laughs> oh my God, that light is really intense, that could make someone feel uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, they're not, they're not looking at these very finer points, they're looking at, where am I sitting? When am I eating? Who am I talking to? What's the conversation about? How long is this gonna take? I'm like, what's going on? Right. Right? And, and, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that men are not intelligent. They're just operating in a structural field of step one, step two, step three, which is also necessary for our evolution. But women operate in a quantum field. So they see the inner and outer workings of any environment and they can see the imbalances and they can see the distortions and they can see the dangers. So think about that when you remember that your perception is only available to the information that you have. And remember, on our planet, there are two things that give you power, which is why the system, when we'll talk about it, because I'm sure you have a question about the matrix, the understanding of information. Information is so important because the more information you have, the less fear you have. And the more information you have, the more pathways you can see and the more perception you have. So when Wall Street execs and CEOs come to me, they're coming to me because they want me to help them expand their perception so that their analyst team can catch things that they would not see. And what I do is I get them to play. And when you play, you are actually breaking down all of these, these barriers and allowing yourself to be able to be aware of the imagination and all of these things. The imagination, I call it, is your creative station. It's your, it's your place of creation. Mm -hmm. So when you can play, you actually create a synthesis that starts to communicate beyond the things that you actually never even knew existed. This is why I always say that kids shouldn't go to school at that age that they go to because they should have more time to play, sure. right? And so that what that does is that allows you to be open data. So an open data person is able to cope with struggle and difficulties more. Like, like when I'm in Israel in the early 90s and bombs were dropping and like people were getting going, like people getting going to craziness on the streets and stuff. And I was on West Bank and Palestine. People were shocked that I was so calm but I was calm because I have open data. So I'm looking at everything and I'm seeing all of the nuances of energy. But when people don't have open data, they're reactive. And you can always tell an, open, an un person who's not open data is when you say something to them and they're quickly to defend, okay? That's a, the person who's closed data. Mm. A closed data person will fire back at you like this because it's, the, it's their ego that's believing the belief that's keeping their narrative correct and they need to protect it because you're a threat to them. An open data person isn't threatened by you. An open data person can have a conversation about a myriad of different ideas and take them in all into consideration and begin to look and see, well, does this fall under the line of love? Does this fall in the line that helps each of us be a win-win? Is this a win-win for both of us? Or is this just a like you win and I lose kind of thing? That's not supportive to our species. So an open data person won't fire back. They're more observant and they're much more open to have conversations about things that people would find uncomfortable. A closed data Mm -mm. You can't talk helpful. about certain things. Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. I'm going to use that one. Yeah, open data, closed data. Um, okay, and you say that the spirits found you. Can you just talk that through for people who maybe aren't familiar with your story and your work? I want to say the spirits found me because I'm not something that's hiding under a brook or anything like that. I would definitely say that the spirits chose me. 
Okay. See, in shamanism, a lot of people think that if you're born in a tribe, that's what constitutes you to be a shaman. You can be born in a tribe and a shaman in the tribe can say, I'm electing that person to be the next shaman, but it doesn't mean they are the end all be all of you becoming that shaman. Okay. There are certain things that have to take place spiritually for you that they will see that you've overcome. So for, let me give you an example of tribal culture, okay? In a tribe, and the same with our world today, there, everyone has a task that they complete. Some are weaving baskets, some are hunting, others are preparing the hunt, other people are dealing with the children. Everyone's got a task. The one who's the shaman is the one who's defying all the task. And they're in the nature just throwing wood around and kicking the dirt up and going like, I wonder what this is all about. <laughs> Right. And then the, the, the shaman or the chief will come and say, how come you're not doing the task that you were that your father wants you to do, which is the fish? They're like, because fishing isn't for me. I'm more concerned about like this thing that has nothing to do with any of these tasks. Okay. Immediately, the elder chief and the shaman begin to, to communicate and realize, hey, that kid right there has the potential to be the shaman, okay. but it's not complete. The second aspect is, do you listen to spirit? Let me give you an example. When I was a kid, I would have spirits come in my room, tell me things like, uh, do this thing tomorrow, or say this thing to this person. Or one time I was walking down the street and there was a woman sitting on the bench and spirit said, go over to her, put your arms around her and tell her her son's gonna be okay and he'll make it through the surgery. Now, to be a shaman, you have to be able to fulfill what the spirits say more so than what humans would say. Because humans have this vision, whereas the spirit has this vision. So you have to trust what they're saying. Mm -hmm. So I would like, you want me to go to the bench right now and put my arms around them? They're like, yes. And then I do it and the spirits go, oh, he listens. So then they give you another one and another one. Or maybe they'll put you on a mountain where you get lost and all of a sudden the spirits will say, the only way you're gonna get out of here is you listen to us. Mm -hmm. And then if you start passing those, those, those tests, you become the shaman. Spirit says, go to Israel, do this and this. Go to this country, do this and this and this. Meet, be at this place at this time. This person will come, connect you here. You will go here, da, 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 da. My life is not governed by what people tell me. When people come to me and say, oh, Shaman Durek, you know, I'm having love relationship, this thing, that thing, that thing. I'm like, hmm, very fascinating. Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Spirit, what's really going on? Well, they just, you know, they don't want to be in a relationship because they feel like every time they're in a relationship, they feel like they have to give up their power. So they've been keeping relationships away from them so they can always stay in power and never have to share that power. I mean, oh, so basically what the spirit said, and they're like, what? <laughs> what do you say? Are you serious? I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that leads right into the next question, actually. In the book, you talk a lot about um, how many of us are living under the illusion of separation. Um, can you explain that? A yeah, so, you know, we have this whole thing on our planet based on this idea of identity, right? So we, we create this idea of, you know, and we look at it from a sociological position that human beings are living their life to get rewarded and to get accolades and to be noticed and to be seen. Because why? Because when you came to earth, you were told that you weren't anything unless you got that good report card grade or that you did what your parents wanted you to do and you followed the rules and you did exactly as they said. And that, you know, that creates this idea that it's all about you. 
right? And so human beings start to live in this kind of in like, well, you know, I'm doing my thing, you do your thing, I'm doing my thing, we're doing my thing. And it gets into this, this, this situation where we don't realize that we're all connected. And so when the man is suffering in Nepal because he has no food, the woman who can't pay her rent in New York is connected to that man. And so they're all, we're all going through the same thing. It's just you're not aware that this is happening on a quantum level. You're not aware that you are connected to another other life forms on this planet and that every little thing you do is either creating or destroying. And so when we are thinking we're separate from each other, it's because we're separate from ourselves. We're separate from the part of ourselves. That means that if we look at, we look at it from the shamanic point of view, that everyone is their own universe. And in, the, in their universe, there is a nucleus, right? So you have the outside, like, like a cell in your body. It's the like outside rim of the cell, and then inside is the nucleus. And what, what, what happens is everything that shows up in your life is because of what you're doing in that nucleus. Most people, anytime there's another cell that comes along, the body understands that. The body's like, yeah, these cells all have to be able to cope, to be in, a, in you know, how do you say, um, cooperative with one another in order for the body to function, right? But on our planet, we have some weird idea that because someone thinks something different or it dresses different or want, grew up in a different household or had more money than the other, that they, we, put, we put into these boxes and categories, right? And these check marks. And so what we do is we, we feel alone. We feel separate. And the, one of the biggest reasons why we have such depression right now, when I talk to a lot of my friends who you know, are psychologists and, and neurologists and so forth, you know, we look at depression and what it is. And the depression comes from the fact that our world is built to keep us apart. Um, I mean, the buildings are built, the cities are built, nature, there's not enough nature in cities. Nature actually lowers your heart rate to allow you to feel safe so that you can talk and commune. So if you ever go to someone's, like, you go to live in nature for a while, you become a very different person than when you're in a city where everyone's hustling and bustling and doing things. We we are built in a society that keeps us in this separatism so that they can constantly put us in box and sell things to us individually and then get us to be riled up against each other. So, you know, it's the whole mentality. I don't know if you read this section in the book where it's circuses and bread. And it's, yeah, and it's the Caesar mentality that Caesar said, which is like, give them the arena and give them cheap food. And they'll never know what the Republic does, right? What's the same thing? They keep us so blitzed out against each other and caught up in the media and caught up in like all these movies and all scary movies and like everything you can imagine to just just like make our conductor go crazy from all the in, in, input data that it's getting so that we become afraid of, of, of being able to connect with people. And it separates us. And the more it separates us, the more power they have over us. And they being the Matrix? Yes. So the Matrix. Let's talk about the Matrix. This isn't a Keanu Reeves thing, but it's kind of it's, it's close. So in shamanism, we say you're born on a type 2 planet. A type 2 planet is a slave planet. It means a planet where you spend 80% of your life in survival and 20% 20, 20 of your life figuring out what your freedom is. Most people live on a, um, don't realize that they live on a planet that's created a system that decides for you what your what information you're allowed to get and what you can access. So in our planet, you have these higher ups. There's one percent, and they're like, I want I keep my luxuries. I want to have 
like whatever I want to have all the time and I don't want to share it. And if we gave this to everyone, then we're not, it's not going to be our special thing. So what we're going to do is we're going to create a system that keeps people in slave consciousness. They actually are supporting our system and they think they're free because they took a vacation to Hawaii for two weeks. But in fact, they have to go back to work to pay bills to make money so we can take the money again from them and then give it back to them so they can buy more stuff we told them they need to have because we keep in, we keep invoking these 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 uncomfortable issues for people because we don't have most human beings don't go to school learning emotional intelligence. If you had emotional intelligence, you wouldn't have this vacuous void of that you have to constantly put new things in your house and buy new things every time you go out of town and every time you go somewhere, you're picking up little trinkets and things like that because you're trying to fill in this emptiness. The matrix whole position is to get you to support the system. The system only runs on people. That's why the metric system of the matrix is birthdays, anniversaries, graduations, and you know, it's its job is to keep you seeing in a linear projection. So if you keep this linear projection and you keep going, yay, it's my birthday. No, it's not. Your birthday was when you came out of your mom, but okay, fine. <laughs> you know, it's really your anniversary. You know, it's in this. So, but the thing is, they want you to keep celebrating these milestones so you stay on this linear projection and you can't see yourself as a quantum being and you can't make quantum decisions. Remember, the two things that give you power on this planet is choice and money because money gives you choice and, cho and, and knowledge gives you choice. And so the two things they have to make sure they control is money and your ability to have knowledge. Because the more knowledge you have, you're able to make different choices. You can see all the different pathways that exist. The less knowledge you have, the less choice you see for yourself. If you have a little bit of money, you can make choices to put your money to things to expand so that you can have more choices. But for those who are sitting on top who built this infrastructure, they want to make sure that the people who think they have choices don't have the choices because they're too busy running the system. So when you go to college, you're not going to college and go, oh, wow, I can learn how to access this type of information and I can do it. It gives you everything in college that supports the system. Colleges like this are wonderful because what they do is they give you an opportunity to look beyond the system at all the other things that you could actually become. You see, a thriving species is one who uses their intelligence for their species, their engineering, their technology, their architecture, everything, even, I mean, even today, I find it fascinating that kids go to school and they still have to learn math when there's all these technologies. They can just go do, 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 do. Like we should be teaching them other things. Yeah. It's fascinating. <laughs> they don't even know how to build a fire. You yeah. know, they don't know how to like, you know, get their own food. They don't know how to build their own resources, but they're going to learn these things. Like human beings have created, the system wants you to live in what we call a codependent entitled state. Codependency, you always need something to do something for you to get somewhere to do something, which is what I talk about in our book, which is about the idea of not becoming codependent. I cannot stand this guru and like, I'm the spiritual leader and I'm like, you know, I've had all figured out and like you never come to me to get the knowledge like no <laughs> every single person in this room has knowledge and wisdom to share and we can all learn from each other and there's no hierarchy there's no up and down there's no like i'm looking down at you like no i am so much to learn from so many people in this room if i could sit down with each person's room i bet you i would learn i would be even more intelligent because they would give me more information that i have no access to 
because that's how we span perception. But so if your matrix can keep you separated from seeing how each of you are valuable leaders and keep you stuck in a system where it just makes you follow the system's code, which just keeps going until you get to retirement and then you get to actually, you know, I always hear people say they're bucket list. I laugh so hard. It's like bucket list, really? How about life list? You know, like everyone is always like, okay, I'm gonna enjoy my life when I get to this place when I can't really enjoy my life because I can barely like, you know, maneuver myself without, you know, you know what? So the point I'm saying is like, the, the, the thing I'm saying is that we have it, it's, 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 it's backwards. And the system likes it that way because as long as they can keep us divided and chum the waters for reaction and create all kinds of disasters to keep us reacting instead of us observing and learning and seeing and communicating and building community within community, not this community is greater than this community and this community is great. Like the whole high school thing of like the jocks, the nerds, the this and that, like that, like I was the kid in school who was like, I'm not a part of any of your groups. Okay, but I'm all of your groups because I can go into any one of your groups and just merge right in because I'm a shapeshifter. But the thing is, is that this mentality of keeping us separate is basically destroying our own species because we're not sharing knowledge. The great thing about technology is that it allows us to share knowledge, but then you have all these trolls who are constantly talking about nonsense and we're so inundated by all the things that we're getting, television and all these things. How come when you finish your, 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 your quote unquote work, why is it that you go home and watch Netflix? Why don't you go to the park and have a picnic with some friends? Why don't you go to a friend's house and have intellectual conversations? They've programmed you. And they keep programming us so they can keep us playing like sheeple. And we are not sheeple. We are giants. Yes. And the giants have now woken up. And this is what this time is about right now. The age of narcissism is coming to end. We got two more years of narcissism. And then we come into the age of leadership and positioning of community and building new structures that allow us to sustain our species. That's what's important. And so before we move on from the matrix, because I do want to talk about kind of how we can uplift ourselves and you have so many great suggestions in the book, but who controls the matrix and is it intentional? Like you reference politics and religions and educational structures and all of that and the 1%. Are there like a group of people purposefully puppeteering it? Politicians. Uh, what'd you say, priests or religion, all of them, they are the puppets, okay? Their job is to make sure they, they enforce rules and ideas to keep people in that, that, that space. Um, what controls the matrix is uh, the darkness. Okay. It's the beings in who don't want the light to, to... You see, in shamanism, we understand that we don't just come to the, a type 2 planet just because. We come to a type 2 planet because there's a distortion frequency taking place in the universe. And that darkness, that energy that we keep demonizing wants us to demonize it. Like when I see religious people go, you're going to hell if you don't go to Jesus Christ. I'm like, do you think that Jesus would be doing that? Like you're going to hell. So you're condemning your own brother and sister to hell? So we're like, we're, people will look for more of the darkness inside of pulling out the light. Like, you know what? Like, let's talk about the joy. Let's talk about love. Like, if you're religious, talk about the kingdom of God. Talk about the love and the healing and the nurturing and, the, and come here and let me love you unconditionally. You know, we, we, we've been, darkness has, has, is utilizing us as batteries. 
because the dark realm can exist without getting the light, but the light cannot come in the form of love because then darkness will be pulled back into the light and then we don't have to be in this, this planet anymore. So what it does is it gets you to distort yourself by you using your powers against you. That's what I learned when I died. When I died and went to the other side, that's what they taught me. They taught me that all human suffering comes from malfunction in thinking. That humans use their thinking process and their mouths to speak against themselves and their fellow brothers and sisters, condemning them into a void of darkness that, that even the angels and the beings and however people want to call it, and you can call it whatever you want, can't intercede until someone on this plane opens up to that level of love consciousness and says, wait a second. Why are we demonizing that? Like, here's a perfect example, the ego. I've heard so many times people say, kill your ego, kill your ego, destroy it, eliminate it, and you'll be free. Nice try, good luck. Okay, I'll see how that works out for you. The ego is your best friend. The ego's job is not held within the field of duality between darkness versus light. The ego does one thing, it clarifies your narrative. So if I go to, someone comes to me and says, hey, you know, I keep doing this thing over and over. The first thing I do is I go, ego, um, do they have a belief system that supports them doing this? Or do they have a belief system that keeps love away from them? The ego says, yes, they do. Uh, what, is, what is it that you've been supporting for them? And the ego will say, well, I've been supporting this, 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 and this. And I say, okay, ego, can you detach from that? And then can you send that energy through their body? All of a sudden, the person starts crying. They're like, oh my God, I don't feel the bounds. I don't feel these chains anymore. I don't feel the same feelings anymore. Then I say, ego, let's support this belief system. And then the ego goes, no problem. Boom. And redirects the, the energy to a different narrative and their life completely changes. Now, why? Because you're actually interacting with spirit in the, in the correct way, which is a place of love and a relationship. Everything is about relationship. So when we continue to sever relationship, uh -huh. right, this is what gives the matrix power. The matrix needs our light to be distorted through fear. That fear feeds the dark realm, the beings that are talking into the big leader. So if you're saying that there's a group of people, yeah, there's a group of people. These people are like, uh, how do I say, they use the governments and the religious system as puppets to keep those beings in a position so that they can keep feeding fear out of us. We're like, you know, I saw this, this, this show, The Dark Crystal. It's like that. I, I love The Dark Crystal. It's so brilliant. The Skeksis. They're like sucking the life. They're, they're taking the essence out of people. Okay. This is what the system is doing. It takes the essence of light, of love, of joy, of happiness, of harmony, of family, of connection and everything and, re and gets at us to change it through our incorrect thinking into fear and hate and judgment and ridicule and bullying and this and that and all of these things. And it supports darkness. So darkness can spread throughout the universe because it has a feeding source and we are the feeding source. And the only way, when I was a kid, there was a monster in my closet with red eyes. And I would tell my sister, there's a monster in my closet, Angelina. And she would say, Ducky, that's my nickname, Ducky. Um, you're gonna have to face it eventually because you're the one who has you're the you're the one who has the gifts. Like you have to face it. And I sit in my bed and I look and I see it in my closet and it would be like. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be like, please don't turn off the light. Please don't turn off the light. Put the night light on. I can't sleep. It's in my closet. And then finally, this voice came to me. It was like, you have to face it. And I went to the closet and I asked the monster, why are you here? And it said, I'm here to scare you. And I said, why? He said, because that's what I have to do so that you turn your light into darkness so we survive. I said, oh, I see. I see.
And when I was doing exorcisms in Italy, when I was living in Rome, I was working with these priests and we were doing all these exorcisms. And sometimes the exorcism would take so long and I was just like, oh my God, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> this woman's talking crazy, foaming, all this stuff. And so literally, I went back to my place. I was living in, um, in uh, Testevere. And I'm laying in my bed in Testevere. And I was like, God, there has to be an easier way. And the spirits are like, yeah, we're glad you finally asked. <laughs> just talk to him talk to it so I was like next day I was like so I'm not into this what you're doing right now whatever this is you can knock it off I know what's going on why are you doing this to this woman it said because she wants to get out of her marriage and she needs to, her family to believe she's crazy and that she's being possessed because she doesn't want to be honest about her true feelings of being unhappy so she's called me from the darkness to give her permission to act this way I go huh <laughs> I got it. And so I would just talk to the woman and be like, you got to take responsibility for what you really feel. And the moment she did, the spirit no longer needed to be there. And so it's the consciousness of where we, we, we what, what darkness wants is for us to keep attacking it with fear. Fear, fear, anger, hate, keep giving us more, do more of that. That's why Hollywood, it makes more scary movies. I mean, I loved 16 Candles and Breakfast Club. What happened to that good days? Now it's like Saw 1, Saw 3, Saw 5, Saw 6, you know, <laughs> Purge 6, Purge 8. Um, I'm coming to get you. I'm coming to get you now. I'm coming to get you later. I'm going to get you next week. <laughs> That's a lot of coming and get me's. Okay, let's scary. talk about love then. Let's talk about okay. self-love. Yeah. And is it selfish or selfless? Well, I believe that to, you know, I always say self-love is the new selfish, right? Selfish is the new self-love because I believe that, it, and, and this is a model of understanding is that, you know, if you can't fill up your own vessel to the point where you're filled up and you give away what's the overflow, then you become a person who becomes bitchy, agitated. You think everyone's using you, taking advantage of you. But the only person who's using and taking advantage of you is you because you're giving everything out of your well and leaving nothing for yourself. So I think the ability to love someone is like, what I can't stand is that new age term where everyone's like, you go to these new age. I mean, they're like, you have to learn to love yourself. I'm like, oh God, stop saying that. Because the thing is, you do love yourself. Now it's about enhancing that love for yourself. It's never a depletion. It's always an increase, right? And so when people say that, I'm like, oh, God, they really love themselves. They wouldn't be here right now walking out of the door. You know, it's like it's enhancing our love. And the way we enhance our love is by being able to give to ourselves as well as being able to give to others. Because the moment you go into a space, like when I go to take people out to dinner and I say, I'm going to cover the table. And I always have that one friend who'll be like, I'll get you next time. Shaman Dirk, I'll get you next time. I'm like, don't insult me, okay? <laughs> Learn to receive and know that you manifested this. Say thank you from I manifested this experience. And they're like, oh yeah. But they have, it, 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 it's, a, it's a difficulty because human beings have created this idea that they could actually be used. They have this idea that people can take advantage of them. No one can take advantage of you if you don't want them to take advantage of you. No one can vampire can get in your house unless you open the door and cut your wrist and say, here, drink. The thing is, is that we're not taking active responsibility to realizing that if you keep giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and not checking in and asking yourself, like, am I replenishing? Am I giving, getting to myself? Am I getting what I need? Then you can't blame the person who's in taker mode because people do have to fill up their vessels. It's about knowing your limits and knowing what you can and you cannot give. So self-love 
to me is about selfish is the new self-love. And being selfless is when you're actually honoring that space because that's when you step into selflessness is when you don't have agendas. Mm, that's beautiful. Right. Um, okay, one of the things that you talk about a lot in the book is how we tend to victimize ourselves and mm. feel like life is happening to us instead of recognizing that we're the creator of our own reality. Can you? You mean the biggest victim award on our planet? Yeah. I think everyone wants that award. <laughs> so, so the idea of being a victim. Okay, look, I'm not saying that people aren't victims, right? I mean, I've gone through abuse. I've gone through sexual abuse. Like, it sucked. It was horrible. And it doesn't feel good. And yes, it definitely victimized me. But it's about us being able to mature out of that victimness and into leadership, right? It's taking that pain, healing it, whatever we got to do. If you got to, if you got to scream outside, whatever you got to do. Like, like, I'm not here to tell people how to heal their wounds and their pain. Like, there's so many ways you can do it. And there's so many people in this room who already know how to do that and can give a lot of information about it. What I'm basically saying is like, don't stay there. Utilize the information that you've gone through and turn it into diamonds and rubies and gems and share it with the world as ways, as proclamations of how we can overcome certain things in our life from places where we've been. But to scream victim, 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 victim to get everyone to love you. I remember a time I was in the hospital and I would go to the hospital a lot because I was having all kinds of health situations. And uh, one of my friends walked in. She's from Israel. Her name is Michelle. She's amazing. She walked in and she goes, just to let you know, I am not giving you love anymore for your victimness. You want love from me? Get empowered. Get out of this bed. Stand in your truth. Be who you are. Don't sit here and constantly make yourself sick and go all these things so you can get love because you didn't get enough love as a kid. It's time, I'm not coming in this room to give you love anymore for being sick. I'm only gonna give you love when you choose to recognize your power. So just make a choice, goodbye. And I was like, damn, she told me, <laughs> right? And so literally that's what I ended up doing. I actually got out of that bed and, and we went back to that bed and she came over and she's like, you did it. And it was the idea of realizing that I don't need to be a victim to get love. I'd rather get love for being empowered and centered and making beautiful things happen in the world for people to have more freedom, more joy, more happiness, more play. Yeah, thank you for that. Thanks from all of us. <laughs> so you say that everything we've ever learned about time is false. Mm, yes. And I really struggled with that, actually, because from a meditation perspective, I think if you're ruminating in the past and wishing it were def different or better than it was, you're living in the past. If you're obsessing about the future or worrying or anxiety, that's about the future. They don't exist in the present moment. But you say The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle is BS. You read and that in the book, huh? I'm curious what you think of <laughs> you know, I'm, Ram Dass here you now. Know. Yeah. Okay, so I don't believe in a now. And shamans don't believe in a now. And the reason why we don't believe in a now, because it's something that you've created, a bubble for you to go into and be like, now, 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 now. Nice, but this, unfortunately, you live in a quantum universe. Everything is in flux. And in order for you to create a perpetual state of now, you would have to change the flux. And the flux is always happening. So everything that I have said so far has gone to the past. And every new moment that has been created is because of what went to the past that comes forward. So it's like this. It goes, voom, 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 
boom, boom. Future, no such thing. Every opportunity or tendril that moves into an idea of a future can only be perceived in the moment that goes into the past. So let me, uh, yeah, it's, a, no, it's an interesting one, isn't it? So, <laughs> so think of it like this, right? Most human beings will say things like this. I'm going to, in the future I am, these are things that are outside of you. Creation doesn't operate from the outside that's way over there. And like, fr like a friend of mine said, oh, I'm going to quit smoking. And everyone was like, oh, that's great. I'm like, whoa, 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 When? Um, in a month? What day? Mm, 20th? Um, okay. So now you have a little bit more realness. Right. Right? The idea is that you know, whenever I want to manifest something, I speak in past tense. What you're talking about as far as dwelling in the past, well, that's a whole different shamanic thing, right? Because you can dwell in the past, like you could be sitting on a mountaintop and looking at the beautiful ocean, but you're thinking about the past, so you're pulling all that energy into that experience, of that experience that becomes that experience, and you get stuck in what we call, what we call a loop. And a loop is why people keep doing the same thing over and over. I call it Groundhog's Day, right? It truly is. But when you are operating in yourself as a quantum being, you realize that there is no such thing as a future and you get to create it. And that's what's so cool. Like today I could be wearing like kimonos and whatever and I can like change myself something completely different. I can have like a heavy metal shirt on with some cool cowboy boots and like whatever. I could be like, yeah, I'm going towards this and I can be like, I'm going to go do this. The cool thing about being a human being is that you're a multidimensional being so you can change your mind at any given time. And there is no like, oh, there's a future. It's basically, I always say that destiny is, is, is not by chance. It's by the choices that you make. And literally, when you are speaking in past tense, like one time I said to a friend, I love how amazing it was that I went to Iceland. It was the best trip ever. And I got invited. When I got there, the TV people wanted to do stuff with me. And then the, pres the first lady president like invited me to her house for crumpets. <laughs> and my friends were like, really? Really? I'm like, yeah, it was the best trip ever. It was amazing. Two weeks later, I get a phone call. My team says, oh, by the way, you've been invited to Iceland. Get on an airplane, get there. Channel 2 wants to do a story on you. What happens? The person who works at the first lady president house happened to be watching TV when my thing came on, and she passed by the room and stopped and was like, I want to meet this guy. Invited me and the prime minister and, um, and United Nations um, and the House of Parliament to her house for crumpets. <laughs> <laughs> and we got to take a cool picture too but the thing is all my friends were like how did you do that I said I past tense my future I love that spirit hack thank you so much and yeah we'll turn it back over to, to folks <laughs> You've been listening to the podcast for CIIS Public Programs and Performances. Audio production was supervised by Lyle Barrere at Desired Effect. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or visit our website, ciis.edu slash podcast. 